Today's episode is brought to you by Create Engage, the digital marketing agency for the disruptive management consultancy. Digital marketing has moved forwards, but most consulting firms haven't. Many consulting firms still see their corporate blog as their sole digital marketing channel and find themselves frustrated when these blogs yield little, if any, results. For those consultancies that understand digital marketing, though, it can be a huge asset and help them achieve rapid business growth. In fact, at Create Engage, we've recently written a case study of one successful consulting firm that used digital marketing to help them grow over 400% in just three years. Having spent countless hours researching consulting firms and consulting leaders for this podcast, it became very clear that while some firms do digital marketing well, the vast majority of consulting firms struggle to leverage its power and don't know where to start. To help those of you who want to harness the power of digital marketing to grow your consulting business, but don't have the knowledge, capacity, or in-house capability to do so, I launched Create Engage, the first digital marketing agency for the management consulting industry. As former consultants ourselves, we understand the challenges that you face when it comes to delivering effective digital marketing that engages prospective clients and generates leads. Having worked in the industry, we understand consulting buyers, what resonates with them and what doesn't. This enables us to harness the latest in digital marketing in a way that aligns with your brand and your market positioning to attract the prospective clients that you're looking to target. We understand that each consultancy is unique and have a range of services to help you shape, implement and sustain effective digital marketing strategies that deliver results, regardless of where you are on your digital marketing journey. If you would like to find out more about how Create Engage can help you use digital marketing to take your business to the next level, then send me an email at nick at createengage.co.uk or go to our website, createengage.co.uk, where you can download that free case study that breaks down the digital marketing strategies used by one successful consulting firm to help them grow over 400% in just three years and gives you the secrets they used so that you can apply them in your own firm. If you want to outpace your competitors and stand out in the crowded consulting market, then get in touch. We'd love to help you grow your business through digital marketing. Hi, and welcome to Climbing Consulting. In today's episode, I speak to James Constable, CEO and founder of Albany Beck, the specialist financial services consultancy that's disrupting the industry with their unique approach that balances leading subject matter expertise with cost-effective delivery. Now, before I go on, full disclosure, Albany Beck are a client of ours at Create Engage, but it didn't start out like that. I originally approached James to appear on the podcast, but one thing led to another, and here we are almost six months later. Having worked with James and the Albany Beck team over that time, it was great to get a chance to sit down with him for the podcast and talk about the Albany Beck story from the very beginning. While I knew some of the journey he and the team have been on, there was lots that I didn't, and this conversation was a great chance to find out all about it. Having started his career in contract recruitment, James founded and grew Albany Beck to become one of the leading contract resourcing firms in the banking industry. This success ultimately led him to sell part of that business to private equity, but that's not where the story ends. Having worked in recruitment for all of that time, James and his team felt that they could see the problems with both the contracting and the traditional consulting model, and they knew that there must be a better way. So they launched their new consulting offering, or Albany Beck 2.0, as it's sometimes called. 
Their unique model, something that James goes into detail on in our conversation today, has seen them go from strength to strength, growing from a team of just the founders to over 170 consultants in less than 18 months. And as James explains in today's episode, that's just the beginning for their growth journey. We go into a whole load of topics in this conversation, including why James and the team decided to launch Albany Beck, Albany Beck 2.0 that is, and the client conversation that actually started them on that journey, how they were able to scale the business so quickly, and their secret to making their model a success. And James's advice for anyone considering striking out on their own, the conversations that you should have with your significant other before you do so, and why Jeff Bezos' wife deserved every cent of the divorce settlement that she got. It was great to catch up with James outside of our day-to-day work together and have a conversation for the podcast. Working with the Albany Beck team, we see firsthand the great work they do in the business they're building. And I really enjoyed having a chat with James to share his insights, his learning, and his experience with you for this podcast. Whether you are looking for advice on starting your own firm or you're considering how your consultancy will need to adapt its business model to keep pace with the competition, I know that you're going to get a ton from this episode. So with the intro done, all that's left to say is please enjoy today's conversation with James Constable. James, welcome to the show. Thank you. Nice to be here. Well, it's been, I know we've sort of got to know each other fairly well over the last few months, you know, having, having been working together. And I, I you know, was really keen when I heard about the Albany Beck story, everything you've done with the business, and, and particularly, and we'll come on to it in the show, you know, the pivot you've made from more of a recruitment business to a consulting business, you know, to really get you on the show and, and find out about the journey and, you know, what's led you to where you are today. And, and I'd love to kick off with that. For those that don't know you, it'd be great just to get a bit of background on, on your story and the journey you've been on with Albany Beck. Yeah, great. So I started Albany Bet back in 2005. Predominantly, at the time we started out as a recruitment business, my background was that, uh, well, amongst other things. But we started off, me and a buddy, above a bar in uh, in Shoreditch back in 2005. Because at the time, I think we we identified that, that certainly within the recruitment sphere and also other areas as well, that human capital was the most important commodity at the time and back in those days you know you had large recruitment businesses that you know client was king so we went about having zero clients just having sort of candidates as as, as you know sole agency to us and uh, and selling them to the right bidder and the you know, the best organization for them and it worked really well it worked really well yeah i mean it wasn't without its challenges you know no one saw lehman brothers coming and we had you know probably 60 70 contracts in Lehman Brothers at the time my wife was actually working there actually when it went under uh, we've got some great merch that we could probably sell on eBay we've got would you believe we've got a Lehman Brothers stress ball and uh, we've got Lehman Brothers caps and we've got Lehman Brothers magic eight ball <laughs> that probably is worth quite a bit somewhere there'll be a, you know a collector somewhere I'm gonna I'm gonna go and look on eBay after this the, the magic eight ball what are the answers what is it <laughs> yeah don't trust Dick fold. There's one. <laughs> yeah, carefully toxic debt is another one. Um, yeah, I think they're just a pretty standard, you know, try again or you better luck next time or something like that. Not like my Star Wars figures, though, that my dad sold at a car boot sale for uh, for two pounds a piece that, that apparently are now worth millions of pounds. But sell a V. <laughs> 
Yeah, we're going off a bit on a tangent. That's why I like these conversations. Pokemon cards is the latest one. That's from my generation. And yeah, I, I, I sold mine probably two or three years ago for what I thought was a hell of a lot of money for a bit of cardboard. But, you know, looking at them now, people are spending millions on buying little Pokemon cards. So yeah, you never know, mate. The Lehman's eight ball might be worth something. And we'll, we'll come on to sort of, you know, the, the journey with Albany Beck and, you know, where you are today. Or maybe actually, do you want to just finish that for, for our listeners? Because as we know each other, we'll, we'll probably do it a few times and go off on these tangents. But yeah, do you want to just finish that journey of where you got from the, the team of two above a bar in Shoreditch? Because you're, you're a little bigger and doing something slightly different now. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, I mean, we, yeah, so we, we we very much just always dealt in, in in that human capital element, as cheesy as that sounds. And and around about 2014, 15, you know, I realised that you know we'd grown to a decent size, uh, and I realised that the, there was a slight flaw in what recruitment companies were offering and what management consultancies were offering. Because it was around about the time that a lot of the regulatory change was coming into place, and a lot of banks couldn't offload that those regulatory requirements they were still on the hook for them with the, the governing bodies and you know some of the big four uh some of the top 10 were still charging astronomical rates when they weren't taking responsibility for the outcome and i think the uh the sort of kaiser so same moment for me was i was at lords with uh with a client from a, a large uk bank based in canary wharf i won't say who and we just missed out we'd just been beaten by i think it was a. Uh, I think it was a Capco or a Capgemini for about 30 roles within the sort of IFRS regulatory. And he was, you know, we just missed out. We had some, loads of interviews going on and they swooped in and won this deal, probably on a golf course somewhere. And, and you know, we got kicked out and, and no more. And then the next day they called us up and said, have you got any candidates? So we ended up putting the same candidates through the consultancy. And we're at Lords and we're the head of reg. And he's going, oh, you know, I just paid a fortune for these guys. And, and I, you know, probably a couple of bottles of claret in and, you know, we, he got his phone out and I was like, they're ours, they're ours, they're ours, they're ours. And he was like, two grand a day, two and a half grand a day, three grand a day. And I was like, 650 a day, 650 a day. So this sort of Kaiser Soze moment, really, which was like, okay, well, there's a gap here because there's a real high touch uh, offering that you can do, which is a consultancy service. But when you're not taking responsibility for the outcome, you shouldn't be charging as if you were. And so in 2016, I sold half the company to a private equity business with the sort of uh, rationale to um, pivot and move into the into the sort of, oh, it depends what you want to call it, fixed price, time materials, whatever you want to call it, but statement of work driven business where, you know, you take a responsibility for what is delivered as opposed to it just being transactional. So we did that. We started the acceleration program. I, I sold another part of the business to a large recruitment business called interquest plc which very much created all of our back office because as you can imagine there's so much back office required in terms of compliance and audit and, and, and payroll and all these different things and so we thought we'd buddy up with those guys because it would help us get to the end destination quicker which it has and the last 18 months two years we've just seen really exceptional growth you know more than i think we we could have imagined i don't know we I'd say we're potentially one of the fastest growing consultancies in Europe based on the last 18 months. That's unsubstantiated, by the way. But I can imagine, you know, we, we certainly get the stats. Certainly our Dublin office is the fourth highest recruiter in the uh, in the local Irish market, just behind PayPal and Facebook. So we've, wow. got, we've got those stats. Yeah, we've, we've got a lot of consultants on site in Ireland. So there's always been one core 
proposition and that is being the people and that ultimately is what is the beating heart of any business and we started off doing it as a recruitment offering and now we're doing it as a full consultancy offering but we don't you know we don't look to to charge the sort of money that the big four do because we you know we we don't need to quite frankly and just for anyone who doesn't know and again i'm kind of i'm trying to put aside the fact that i do know you know you and your team is Actually, how big are you now? You mentioned you're the fastest growing. For anyone listening, actually, what 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 does that look like? Give or t- give or take. You've given a lot of caveats, mate. You know, we know it's it's a claim, but hey, if you're you're coming fourth behind fa- uh, Facebook and PayPal, that's pretty good going. But yeah, I mean, paint that picture. I mean, what has that last year looked like, and where are you now in, in terms of team size? Just for others who are listening to sort of gauge, you know, the the scale of Albany back. Yeah. So so since the start of lockdown, which was what March twenty third. Last year, we've grown by 176 consultants. But, you know, well, I'm sure we'll go into the sort of proposition and, and why it, it's, it is different. But there's 176 people that are all permanently employed by Albany Beck. They all have bonuses and pension plans and Bupa and all these things that go hand in hand with what a permanent employee should have, you know, quarterly appraisals and, and the like. But they've all been onboarded remotely, which is nothing short of phenomenal. I've got such an amazing team behind me in head office. You know, we're at one point in Ireland, you know, we, you know, we were Ubering laptops around Ireland from uh, a chap who runs my, who you know, Adam Kelly, who runs my island office, you know, and he was beg borrowing, stealing off friends and family to get these laptops. I, at the start of the pandemic, no one, I mean, IT was just, you couldn't find it. You know, you couldn't buy a mouse or a webcam to save your life. So it was interesting. It was interesting. And I'm proud to say we only had 24 hours of downtime. You know, that's people not being able to log on, not being operational. Within 24 hours, we had everyone back online and and, and everyone was onboarded remotely and all the intricacies, difficulties that go with onboarding remotely. Um, and it, I think that's one of the reasons why we did so well last year was because, you know, we are financial services, you know, and, and a lot of the banks could come to us knowing that they could we could scale up a large team really quickly. And all the uh, belts and braces and all the checks and balances have been have been done, and they are sort of safe to work. Um, you know, in adhering to to the regulatory requirements as well. So, I think that's that, amongst other things, is probably one of the reasons we we did well. Well, I definitely do want to find out about Ireland because I know we've we've talked about it in passing, and I, I want to hear the the full story because I mean that, like you say, the start of lockdown was crazy. You couldn't get any IT equipment, and how you managed to get enough for you know all of the team in Ireland, but all of the 176 you've onboarded and how you, you frankly did that, because I mean, that's, my math isn't good enough, but you're basically at one every two days, which is an insane amount of, of people to onboard. But I almost, we'll, we'll, we'll come to that. I think what I'd love to start with sort of looking at your journey, James, is, is very much actually starting to your point around the recruitment business that you had before, because it feels like that, that laid the foundations for, for Albany Beck as it is now. And Maybe I'll sort of let you take it as you you know you want, but I'd love to sort of get your take on actually growing that business and particularly what were some of those key things that you learned doing the recruitment business that actually as you've transitioned to this consulting model that you've had, you know, for not very long, but have grown phenomenally quickly, you've been able to, you know, jump ahead and use those skills that you had from before. What what was it about that sort of building that recruitment business that you think's really helped you? I've got to be careful because I definitely don't want to say anything disparaging to strat firms uh, because they absolutely have their place. And we are not a strategy firm. You know, we come up very much at the execution point. And I think when you sell yourself as an execution business, 
it's because you can get to the root of the problem and you know how to roll your sleeves up and complete the task in hand. And I don't think that's too dissimilar to a recruitment business in a sense of you've got to get to the root of the problem. You know, what are they hiring? What are they looking for? Why are they hiring? What are their growth plans? What's, you know, what's needed? What, what's the reason that we're sat in the room together? And then identifying the right individuals to go and, and address that problem. Now, at the point of transaction, that is that you're giving that person to them for a fee, however you, as, however crudely you want to put it. But also with consultancy, you are finding the right caliber individual to onboard yourself, put into an organization. You know, we're really, really proud of our learning and development strategy at Albany Beck, you know, which I can, I'm happy to go into. But, you know, if you look at the two products that we offer, you know, we've got the Pioneer program, which is one to four years experience, it's like second jobbers. You know, that sort of AVP level, growing the AVP level in a bank, which is always really hard. And as a recruiter, you'd sort of roll your eyes when you got tasked with bringing in AVPs. You'd be like, oh, God, it's so difficult to find those three to five years experienced people. So straight away there, you know, why not home grow them? So our sort of um, pioneer model is bringing them in, you know, load of L&D getting that person fit for purpose. And then at that point, you can take them free of charge. So that addresses that pipeline of future talent. And then we've got the practitioner program. And that practitioner program is your more standard consultancy offering, but putting in people that have got, you know, gray hair or a couple of battle scars that have done the job before. We don't put in people that normally have worked in a consultancy. And as, you know, we're sort of the anti-consultancy consultancy because... We put people in that can say, oh, yeah, well, I did that at HSBC or don't bother with that program because I did that at JP Morgan. It costs 100 million. Do it this way. And that is really refreshing because ultimately when the strap firms pull the imaginary pin out of the grenade and roll it under the door as they close it behind them, they actually want someone to take that document that the bank's paid a lot of money for and go, I understand it. I get it. I've done it. This is what you need. This is the scope that you need to do. This is what it's going to cost you. And this is the time I'm going to deliver it. Oh, and by the way, Mr. Client, you deal with me and me only. I mean, and there'll be a, you know, below the waterline of that iceberg, there'll be a load of people, but you deal, you have one point of contact. So your bandwidth goes up. And so going back to your, your question about recruitment, it's not too dissimilar. It's looking for where the pinch points are. It's looking where the problems are and addressing it with human capital. It's nuanced. It's different in terms of the proposition. It's more longer term, obviously. You're not just after a, a, a quick transaction, but you've got to still find the right caliber of individuals. And there is a reckoning coming. You know, there's a there's a disruption coming down the line because for a long time now, consultancies have been using contractors uh, and selling them off as permanent resource, and that's just fundamentally not the correct thing to do. You know, and and Albany Bank very much is we will will not shift on the, on the, the fact that permanently because the outputs are very different with a permanent member of staff. You know, when you've got a a annual bonus attributed to your outputs, you aren't a contractor. They are in there to leave at six and go. When you've got a a responsibility for your outputs that's going to get you promoted and rewarded, then your outputs are way stronger. And plus, you're treating it like a two year or an eighteen month job interview. Because you can go permanent at the end of that time with the bank of your choice. And we will happily let that happen. You know, we will never stand in your way. And so, you know, 
as bold and as slightly arrogant as it sounds, when when we go down to pitch, we say, you know, you'll never use a contractor ever again. And we hope you never use a, a you know, a big four for your transformation work or your or your execution work because we can meet it in the middle. That's a very long answer to quite a short question, isn't it? No, I, I really like it, James. And then I think it's a really good point, James. I, you know, I love what you're saying about the sort of way you you pitch your service. And I think there's an interesting element in there in that key point around actually your service offering, you know, as you just highlighted, almost sits between you're offering something more than contractors, but you're offering, you know, in as you described, you know, a different model to consulting that comes with a different price point. And actually, instead of going after the the same niche as everyone else, you you found this middle piece. And I I really want to go on to actually building the model because you've obviously you've really got clear on that and really honed it. And maybe actually we'll go there now is you mentioned the sort of genesis was that, you know, you had that sort of epiphany at Lords when you were with that client. But actually then how did you build this model? Because again, something that I know people say to me is like, wow, you've created a business. I don't know how you create a model or how you came up with the idea. And I'm sure people say the same to you. And I just actually how has those elements that you talked about, you know, the the different levels, the pioneer practitioner, the different trainings, the sort of the structure. Yeah, talk, talk me through the origin story, mate. Was it you, you know, for a week with a whiteboard? Was it just... Yeah, it was all me. It was all me. I'm going to give zero, <laughs> zero credit to any of my team. I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm a visionary, Nick. I, you know, <laughs> no, I am... Um, I've got a really strong management team. I've got a really strong team, uh, full stop, in, in head office. And... You know, I I very much was aware of a program of this nature. You know, I don't need to name them, but we all know about the recruit, train, deploy. You know, there's sort of three or four of them that, that do it and do it very well. You know, very successful. Obviously, FDM being sort of the biggest, most known, listed, you know, billion market cap. You know, and I, I'm not on here to sort of slander competitors because they're a f- phenomenal company. Obviously, we we would never be 10% of that size. But there are things that I noticed that some of the other firms do really well, and I'd like to emulate some of those things. And, and lots of things they don't do very well, and I don't want to do things like that, you know. So we we sort of went about defining, you know, what our our mission statement was. And there are firms out there that do the junior model, and there's firms out there, obviously, as we all know, the, you know, the big consultants that do the more senior model. But there isn't anyone that really bridges the gap between the two and you know that bit for me is the most exciting you know we you know to give you an example we 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 don't i fundamentally don't agree with how firms bond their consultants i i just i've got three children if daisy left university saying she's just taken a 20 grand bond on to do 12 week course in java you know i'd hit the roof and we do professional qualifications, but we don't bond them uh, because we don't agree with it. We don't. Fun- we fundamentally think it's it's sort of a slightly immoral. And uh, what we do is we put a holistic engagement management piece in, which is like a PMO team that basically sits either on client site or head office, and they ensure that the client is happy with the outputs. But as importantly, and sometimes they don't like to hear this, they are creating the right culture and the right company for that permanent person to want to go permanent in. Because ultimately, after 18 months, if they say, well, we love Joe Bloggs, you know, can they come onto our books? And they say, actually, I don't like it. You know, I'm the only female in a male-dominated team or no one talks to us. We're sat in the corner turning handles. It's not going to work. And the whole model breaks down. So it's a really important 
you know area of our business that the engagement managers create this or the or the chief happiness officers as they hate me calling them help create this culture but ultimately that the client is loving the outputs as well and you know i don't want to blow our trump own trumpet but i will i will a little bit you know some of our clients like our model so much they've joined us you know there's there's two people that obviously you've met you know will kettlewell and matt penny that that were big buyers of our model and actually said we sort of buy into this model so much you know can we you know hitch our, our you know hitch our trailer to your wagon and 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 you know it, it's that's great to hear and even great when you're in front of a client and they sort of look at you as if it's too good to be true and then you know because sometimes we can come across a little too salesy and or salespeople naturally can. And then suddenly you've got Will and Matt, who are the anti-salespeople, who say, look, you know, it's true. You know, these guys are, are you know, they're genuine. You know, they, and that authenticity is, is phenomenal. You can't underestimate it. Something that you, you mentioned there, I know we've probably talked about it a little bit before, but it's to your point around that sort of difference with your model to other consultancies is that point, like you say, actually, yeah, there are firms like FDM where you, after two years, it's sort of that recruit, train, deploy, and and then you can move on to client. But you know, if you talk about the tr- the sort of typical consultancy, the traditional consultancy, you know, it's a very different model of the intentions to keep people with the firm, to grow through the pyramid, and and actually, your model is for many of my listeners, I expect, quite different. And I'd almost love to just touch on the benefits that you see. You know, you've mentioned around the sort of you know the employed piece, but. What are some of those benefits, both for your your team, but for you know for you as a business and helping you grow? Why have you gone down that model when you know some people might say, well, James, if you're getting rid of them in eighteen months, you're always going to be pouring water out of the you know you've got a hole in the bucket, you're never going to be filling it up. Like, actually, why does that model work, and why is it one that you're seeing more people move towards? There's probably a multitude of answers to that. I mean, you can't underestimate intellectual property, and you can't underestimate how much, even when they're on client site how much of a sponge they are soaking up the IP of that client they're on site with. So then to take that IP and use it somewhere else, it feels slightly disingenuous. But also, ultimately, because we're not hiring traditional consultants, some of them are interested in uh, moving clients that they don't want to go permanently into a client. And that's fine because they want the variety. But ultimately, some people want to you know, we've got one guy working at a Canadian bank at the moment who's phenomenal. You know, he's MD level and, you know, he'll be ex-co board when he goes perm. So it's taken him 18 months to really establish his name in that in that business. Well, who am I to pull him out and put him in another firm in Canary Wharf? He'd just leave or he would just uh, apply directly. So this is a joint venture. This is a, this is, this is a sort of, I know it's very strange, but it's where we go into this partnership together, the client and us, to say, look, don't let your IP walk across the street. Work with us. Let us feather the nest for your talent that you are so desperately need. Let's fix the job that needs doing today with our resource that we put all this L&D into. And even the MD still gets L&D. You know, we have an amazing uh, coach. We have two coaches at Albany Beck like um management coaches and career coaches and um you know they they are phenomenal these guys and they still work with no matter how senior or junior you are and then when you do a great job you represent all the to the fullest you have the choice do you want to go permanently on site or do you not and if they go permanently on site suddenly you've got a person who loved working for albany beck who will only ever work with albany beck going forward so i don't think businesses need to constantly nickel and dime and 
you know, ring fence and have sharp elbows. I think you can go into a business and say, look, we're entering into an 18-month, two-year journey together. And in that journey, we're going to fix your problems and your pinch points. And at the end of it, should you wish and should the, the consultant wish, they can stay on and all that amazing, you know, IP that you have, they've soaked up and all the client, all the stakeholders they know and the fact they know your systems, it can all stay. It's pretty compelling that because I, I know that when I hired Will from Deutsche Bank, Will was really annoyed because he got sold, you know, a big four model, uh, 20 analysts. And, you know, I had a beer with him over at Borough High Street. That's when pubs were open. Oh, good days. And he was saying to me, like, you know, where's the guy that pitched me this model? Where is he? You know, I've been chasing ex-consultancy and he's over in Geneva and I've got 20 young people that are texting me calling in sick. That's not what I signed up for. And I'm like, damn straight, didn't sign up for that. Well, what's going on? So this comes in it very much from a partnership angle. But also when we put people in, we put people in that are SMEs. They are absolutely know their market. They know, you know there is no hockey stick when it comes to, to them hitting the ground and learning the ropes. You know, they absolutely SMEs in that area. And the reason why we can do that is because we don't have this vast bench where one person's just rolled off one program and we'll try and fit a square peg into a round hole for another program. We refresh on every project. And our talent acquisition team is phenomenal. I mean, honestly, they are magicians. I, I you know, we've just done a load of work for in Luxembourg for KYC. When I was like, look, you know, we've picked up this work because no one can find the skilled resource. And within two days, we had a team of 10 staffed up, all ready to go. And I'm, I literally don't know how they do it. I do not know how they do it. So it's this sort of joint venture. And there's no promises from the client that they wanted them, no promises from us. But if it all works well, and we have, you know, 92% of our consultants do end up going on site. If, it, if that happens, it is brilliant. And you've got a happy client, you've got a happy consultant, you've got, and yes, it is a leaky bucket, I'll give you that. But how empowering and compelling is it when your ex-employee is now on site pulling the strings in terms of budgets and hiring and stuff? So it, it just works, it just works. I think it's a really good point. And, and like you say, a lot of the times you know, when, it, when I'm speaking to guests like yourselves, it's, it, it's things that seem obvious when you hear it said like you have. And actually that point of, you know, I, I've lost count of the amount of people who have built great businesses, frankly, following the same buyers around organizations. And actually what you're doing, as you say, at all levels is you, you're putting those buyers into organizations so that, you know, your practitioners now and your pioneers in a few years, they'll come back to you and Yes, the, the bucket is leaking, but you're adding to the faucet at the top, if it's the right metaphor. You've already told me you don't know how your TA team do it, and I'd love to find out because, you know, stories like that in our industry are phenomenal. And I, I want to come on to the Dublin story as well, because I know there's a sort of lot in there. But I almost just on this last piece around the sort of that transition into consulting, because we do get a lot of listeners to this show who who have come from contracting, come from other industries. And I think, if I'm honest, a lot of people struggle to make the move into consulting, running a consulting firm, if you've not come from a consulting background, if you've not seen how a consulting firm works internally, it can be quite hard to teach yourself that on the fly. And I'd love to just understand, you made the point that recruitment actually wasn't that different internally. So this might, James, be a really quick question. But actually, what were some of those things that you and the team found in those early days you had to spend a lot of time figuring out? What were the things that actually, for anyone listening, thinking, yeah, I'm going to go from recruitment to consulting or something else to consulting, 
actually you'd be saying, look, you've got to look at this first and really get yourself up to speed because look, you'll, you'll smash the selling, but you won't have a clue about this. In banking, and if you're not doing advisory and you're, you're tasked with getting the job done, there isn't that much difference. If you're sent in there to, um, you know, work out where the, the problems are, then that's a different proposition, right? A scoping exercise, that's different. But if you're tasked with going in there and fixing those problems, it's the same reason that you would go out and, and hire a contractor, in essence. You know, I think the the only difference really, though, is that as, as, as consultancy, you know, it's through different agreements. You, you know, to your question, you know, the big difference is, I mean, manoeuvring my way around a procurement department has been, you know, fun. <laughs> don't know if you have procurement listeners nothing but love for procurement that's sort of been uh that's been a challenge uh you know they, they, i get i totally understand the role of procurement and I, I totally understand i mean it's so needed it needs to be policed you know it really does and they've got to keep everybody honest and, and i completely see that the point in that and the agreements obviously you know with the procurement firm you know with the procurement business with in terms of statement of work whether it's fixed price and the deliverable element that's wholly different to recruitment but it all goes back to that one root source which is good people you know that is the one characteristic that shines through everything in the services industry you have to have good people now ir35 i won't lie has probably been a big help for us and i'm quite passionate about ir35 because it's quite expensive to employ people permanently you know and especially to give them all the add-ons that albany beck does there are firms out there that say, oh, we employ them all permanently, and they don't. You know, unfortunately, that's just not the case. So I do have a bit of a bee in my bonnet about that. I, I constantly challenge procurement to ask us for our payroll reports to prove that every single person is permanently employed. Obviously, while saying, and you should also check with the others as well. Do they ever take you up on that? They do, yeah, they do. Yeah. And I love it when they do. I love it when they do. Obviously, there's GDPR issues. You have to block out the names and stuff. But it shows that we have 176 people, you know, paying NI, you know, and, and contributing and, and things like that. So, you know, I don't know if I've answered your question about the sort of the, the main differences, but there is always one main overriding characteristic and that is just you have to have really strong people i think it's a yeah it's a really good point and you're right you know actually services boil down to the relationship between people and actually yeah there's different skills you know different specialisms but being able to offer i guess good people in a model that works for both sides you know the the sort of win-win nature of what you're talking about james comes across loud and clear and i'm almost just it's a complete tangent but where did that come from because there, there's a lot of people who probably sort of be a bit more cynical, you know, oh, I've got screwed over here, or, you know, I've, I've seen a bad example here. Like That ethos you described is not one that everyone's sort of born with. I mean, is that actually something you just, you've always had? Is that something you learned in early years? Where does that for you and the, you know, the team come from? Sorry, the ethos in terms of uh, what exactly? Sorry, I didn't, I didn't understand. So in terms of actually your approach to business. So, you know, you've talked, the whole Albany Beck model is predicated on a win-win between, you know, you finding a good person, the, the client, you mentioned around not bonding people. If I was cynical, I'd say, well, James, you're going to pay for my MBA or my CFA or whatever it is, and then I'm going to go. You know, I'm going to leave you straight after that and you've paid for it and you've lost it all. Like, there'll be a lot of people who'd be thinking that sort of, you know, risk-averse mindset. So where does your sort of, you know, I guess that 
optimism for you come from? Where does that open approach come from? Is that something you've always had in life? Is that something that you've be, you learned in business? Where's that from? I just really believe that the way you treat people sort of comes back to you tenfold. And I just think, you know, we're really good at being empathetic. You know, we listen to our clients all the time. We constantly have reviews with our clients and we, and they, you know, they talk about some of the frustrations they're going through and, you know, we'd be pretty ignorant of us to just sort of listen to what their woes are and then replicate those woes. So the likes of firms coming in, doing an OK job and leaving again with just the, the bill behind them, that, that that doesn't sit with me. Robbing people to pay poor, pulling people off projects, leaving people in the lurch, that doesn't sit well with me. I just think you can do it really holistically. I think you can, as long as both parties know what they're getting into... There shouldn't be any. There shouldn't be any shocks. And I think, you know, I know it's overused this disruption bit, but I, you know, I just believe that you enter into an agreement where both parties know exactly what they're doing in terms of, you know, here's your person. They will fix this problem today. But, Mr. Client, should you want to keep them long term, you you absolutely can. And the same with the with the consultant. You know, the same with them. You know, do you want to use this as a especially with the pioneers, you know, do you want this as an 18-month in- interview, in essence? You know, do you want to work for a large global bank? Not all of them do, you know, not all of them do. But then at least at the end of the 18 months, through through regular appraisals, at least the client is aware of that. And sometimes that's just okay. That's just okay. I mean, you know, not everyone, some people do want that flexible resource. But yeah, it's you've just got to be, we're after a marriage, not a one-night stand. Let's just put it like that. That I, th- I, th- I think that's going to become the quote of the podcast, James, and uh, we'll be talking about it in the week about whether we can weave that into your marketing somewhere, but that's a, a conversation for a, a, di- a different situation. I'd love to then you know, turn to your point and, and get into some of the weeds on the, the growth, because as you described, you're now 176 people, and you know just to paint the picture for people, that for you was what, 10 times growth? How, how like Just so that people aren't thinking you're sort of 5,000 now, and that was a you know drop in the ocean. That was a huge growth for you over this last year, just to paint the scene. Yeah, so so when I sold my business as a, as a sort of recruitment business and did that pivot, in essence, we gave that whole business over to the purchaser. So it was all from a standing start. You know, no agreements in place because, well, it, you know, as everyone listening to this podcast knows, a recruitment agreement is wholly different to a consultancy agreement. So it was all from a standing start. A couple of key acquisitions in terms of people for me mm-hmm. meant that we could we could push it on. And it's, you know, my budget said that I would, my budget was circa 100 by year end. We're, we're obviously at 176 coming into the new year. My budget for the end of this year is, is sort of circa 299 and we will exceed that. And we'll be at 500 by next Christmas. And that's sort of the... As in Christmas 21 or Christmas 20. No, Christmas 22, although never never say never, Nick. Uh, <laughs> no, Christmas 22. But, you know, the back office is it has to keep up with that growth. You know, our EM piece, as I've talked about, is extremely important. Our talent acquisition piece is extremely important. And everyone has their sort of role to play. And if any part of that sort of cycle breaks, the whole thing breaks. Yeah, if we pick up a lot of work, if the TA guys can't fill it, clients despondent they've gone we probably don't get a second chance at that if we pick up the work and the ta team put great people in and the ems are on top of that and they can't make sure that everybody is happy and outputs are maintained and high and all that kind of stuff then it breaks if the 
people don't pick up any business. There's nothing for the TA guy. So it's all this sort of, it's all this everyone in their lane, everyone having their own job to do. And I've probably got the easiest job out of everyone because I sit above it all and, and you know, try and be a bit of a puppet master and, and get told more often than not just to, to stay out of it. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it, but I can't, I know I keep going on about it, but the guys are really, really phenomenal. It makes me, it makes me so proud to work with those people. And and, I, and we did a, a thing on Friday afternoon, actually, to all of our consultants. And and again, you know, so proud of all of our consultants who have faced, I've never known anything like the last 12 months. You know, everyone has been touched directly or indirectly by COVID. And, you know, the fact that we've got, you know, some people in their early 20s, mid 20s that have never set foot in the organisation they're working for and they're sat at home on their own. And yes, we try and do stuff we have cocktail making sessions and quizzes all the time the ems do quizzes all the time which is brilliant with poker and oh we try and do all this fun stuff but ultimately they are 25 years of age sitting probably in a small flat in clapham yet they still represent our brand they still make us proud on a daily basis and that is probably the biggest achievement of the last 12 18 months is that you know every person that works for ab just sort of has real pride in our badge and you've got to be sort of a little bit careful because we do definitely sell this JV that, you know, at the right time you'll will merge over. You don't want to make them so in love with your own brand that they don't want to move over to client side because then the client is getting legged over. So it's it's a fine line, but you know, we sort of see it as a segue. We're sort of nurturing them in their career until the point that they're ready to fly. And uh, gosh, and now now I'm going down a deep. <laughs> well, well, let hole. me uh, let, let me pull you back out, mate. I mean, I've been fascinated to your point around, you know, you, you you mentioned a couple of key things there about the sort of the fact that your head office team, you know, they have that finely tuned process and stay in their lane and, and it falls down if, you know, one of the elements doesn't work. And likewise, that point around balancing the culture of fully supporting your team, but making sure everyone's aware this is a sort of, you know, it's a marriage, but it's got a divorce coming at the end of it. I'd love to just dig into actually how you approach building the model and, and particularly as you scale, you know, the pace you talked about, being 176 now is amazing. Doubling again at that scale is is huge. Almost how did you build the model to start with and how do you make sure that it is right for every point in the business? Because I'm sure the model you had when you were five people isn't the model you've got now and the model you've got now can't be the one you're going to have in, or maybe it can. You know? Tell me about actually how you built that model and how you keep on top of it to make sure it is that finely tuned machine. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely not easy because we sort of came out of the traps really quickly. We landed a couple of large MSAs in some global banks and and the pioneer programs specifically really caught fire. You know, everyone wanted to have a chat with us about it. So we sort of ran at 100 miles an hour from the start and, and that put a lot of pressure on everyone, including the, uh, the engagement managers. So what we've done is we've just we've just heavily invested in a new uh, system actually called the Pioneer Hub, uh, and the Pioneer Hub is basically it's a CRM for all of our consultants. So it does all the stuff, you know, manage holidays, you know, timesheets, that kind of stuff. But it also has, you know, so it has like a social bit as well. If we're you know playing five side football or quiz and stuff, and there's a front end where the the client has a, a direct access to performances or key performance. Uh, indicators of our consultants so they can it's real time so they can log into this and they can see how they're performing so on a remote basis it's brilliant because you know with one client we have 
you know, 60 people and they can't keep track of, of every single person. So uh, this new system that we've that we've thrown a load of money at is is going to help a lot of the heavy lifting with the EMs so that we can we can act at pace and growth. But there's a new part to this system that we have just put in place, which is a, a sort of knowledge repository whereby we're designing and rolling out over 200 courses, which all of our pioneers and practitioners have access to because we're all about sort of, you know, nobody's a finished article. So I know that's hard for some people to hear. I'm definitely not. And and the MDs and the C-suite, they're still not. And we have behavioral courses. We have, you know, we'll have a guy who's, you know, maybe working in finance who wants to do SQL. And they can log into this knowledge repository. It's free of charge. And they can learn about DevOps, Python, Java, you know, C++. They can learn about effective communication, you know, effective time management, diversity and inclusion. So all of this helps to put a wraparound or a wrapper on, you know, what has been a crazy 12, 18 months for us. But now sort of we've sort of taken stock and gone, right, I'm trying not to use that cliche of what gets you here won't get you there because it's so overused. We just need to say, look, you know, the company that was great in growing 200 consultants is not going to be the same company that's going to get to a thousand consultants so what do we need to look like let's start with the end in mind let's work backwards from that and the pioneer hub is a major contributor of that you know we've just hired matt penny from deutsche bank who i know that you've that you've met who is going to manage all of our risk vertical you know the, the, who's 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 an ex uh, global head of the sort of tprm the third party risk management space down at db you know, what we do is we hire really strong people that basically make us look good, you know. You know, Matt's brilliant. You know, he's an absolute SME. He's, he, his webinar was phenomenal, you know. And, you know, we, we we are with a type of firm that, you know, what you see is what you get. But, you know, you, you get to have someone like Matt Penny. If you take Matt's vertical, for example, he's going to run TPRM verticals in various houses you get his oversight and his governance whilst having really strong you know associate and avp people doing the the, the handle turning stuff while matt oversees it and he'll do that in multiple clients but you know when he did that at db and he used the pioneers you know he saved almost two million pounds on going down the traditional consult contracting route so you know, and when he starts talking about that, it's a pretty compelling argument to come against. You know, you get the brains of Matt and the sort of horsepower of, of young, hungry, you know, second jobbers that eventually want to work in the organization. I want to come back and I'm sort of I'm jumping around a little, James, but you mentioned a while sort of a while ago around actually you, you'd pretty much when you started sort of Albany Beck 2.0, for want of a better name, like you'd you started with nothing because, like you said, the recruitment business you'd sold off. And I mean, everything you're describing, like, is working really well, has worked really well, is really compelling. But again, for anyone listening, you know, the obvious question I'm sure would be, well, James, that's great. Now you're 176 people. You've got a Matt Penny. You know, you've got Will. You've got these sort of heavy hitters. And I'm going to come back to you. I'm going to grill you on your how your TA team do work their miracles. I know you said you don't know. I think that's just you hiding the secret sauce. But I'm, I'm going to push you on it, James. But actually. How did you convince these you know, these firms? Because now you've done it, you've got a case study. It's easy to say, well, yeah, look, we've got 50 people in Bank X. Of course, we can get you 50. But particularly in when you look at the difference between recruitment and consulting, 
you mentioned they're different things and some banks will see you as different types of providers. You know, a consulting firm is, you know, yeah, they can do my analytics work and all the sort of that side of things. Recruitment, you'll find me people. How did you actually convince people in that early day to take a risk? Because it, it's one thing saying, yeah, I'll buy, you know, I'll buy a person off you, James. It's quite another saying, I'll buy 50 people off you and let's let's get them in tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously it didn't start out with 50. It started out with teams of threes and fours. But, you know, for the client, it's pretty risk-free. We have an agreement that's more on a time and materials basis. We have very short notice periods if it, if it wasn't to be working out. You know, although a statement of works can be a two-year SOW, there's normally a break in there of a week. So from a risk appetite perspective, it's actually it's actually not very risky from the client. And, you know, when you go in there and you sort of proposition this model, and, you know, you do hear, you know, this sounds too good to be true and and the like, the proof is in the calibre of individuals, right? And and this, you know, I keep talking about how good the TA team are, but, you know, it, it is. I mean, if you, you know, I remember going and meeting a CTO at a, a, a Dutch bank and them saying sort of like, you know, okay, yeah, we, we use your model and they named off the normal Motley crew and we were saying, look, you know, we're different. We, you know, we don't do, we don't bomb, we don't do, you know, we do professional qualifications and we have a figurehead that you, you deal with. And the guy just said, like, okay, look, you know, I tell you what, uh, we're feeling a bit little disenfranchised with a current vendor. Let's start you off with, you know, two or three. And within six weeks, we have 30 people in there because the proof is in the pudding. You know, we, we, we actually don't really do straight grads, if I'm being honest. You know, we like someone who's set their alarm clock or got on a tube, you know, because I think we only hire in the geography that they're going to be based in. So we don't deploy them. You know, if we've got work in Dublin, we don't send UK people over there because we always start with the end in mind and, and, and work back. And if they're going to go perm, the likelihood of them laying down roots in Dublin as a 25 year old male or female who they're probably not going to have a mortgage. They may or may not have a serious partner. And so your conversion rates are way higher by sourcing in the local market. And when you start to detail, walk people through this sort of plan of how you're going to do it, you know, this is how I'm going to find them. This is how we're going to deploy them. This is how we're going to maintain them. This is how we're going to monitor them. This is going to ensure the outputs are really strong. And this is how we're going to ensure they're going to take a job with you at the end of it. It's quite hard for them to say, nah, you're all right. And, and I know that sounds really arrogant. I really don't mean it sounds arrogant. Sometimes if people don't buy for whatever reason, you are a little bit like, really? Because that, I mean, I don't know if I've just got rose-tinted glasses, but why Why not? You know, why would you ever want to pay? Oh, and the beauty of it is we're way cheaper than going down the contracting route because, as you know, contractors suck up 85% of that, you know, daily rate anyway. And if you start with permanent resource, then your starting point and your prices is cheaper. And, yeah, it's just it's just compelling. So. Back in the day when we were propositioning this, it, it, I wouldn't say it was easy because it definitely wasn't, but it sort of steamrolled, it sort of caught fire quite quickly. And, you know, we, we were fortuitous because we landed on two big MSAs through relationships that we all have, you know, and, and we spoke procurement's language, which is cost and uh, quality of service. Uh, and so they were happy with it. We won a few big RFPs. We beat, I mean, certainly last summer, we were beating some of the, you know, the big four. And, and yeah, it just, it just sort of evolved from there, really. 
I think there's some really key points in there. And, you know, firstly, the passion, I think doing what I do, I, I know the same feeling. Like you've, you've ultimately got to believe in what you're selling. Otherwise, why would anyone buy it from you? And I think you know, implicit in what you were saying is actually having that clarity of process has obviously been really powerful and was in those early days, being able to show a client the journey that you're going to take them on, that the, you know, the pioneers are going to go on and, and actually that it's not just you've had an idea and you're going to go and test it on them. You know, you put thought into it. I think, yes, you had the relationships, but obviously those people are, you know, they're clever buyers. They're not just going to do you a favor because they're your mate. And actually having that structure sounds like it was a really big help. I'm going to turn to it, James, because we now we've talked about it throughout and it's a theme that you just touched on again of your, your TA team. And I, I mean, this is as much selfishly for me because we're hiring right now and the COVID, I don't know if it's just our industry, just us. COVID seems to have meant, you know, a lot of people aren't moving. And, you know, you've hired phenomenally quickly and both, like you said, you've hired phenomenal talent, you know, the likes of Matt and others, but you've also hired phenomenally quickly. Like you mentioned onboarding sort of that team in Luxembourg and we, we haven't touched on, but we might come on to the sort of Dublin team. What's the secret? What's the magic that gets you these people as quickly and to the talented level that you do? I'm not even trying to keep our cards close to my chest on this. <laughs> do, you know, do you know what we've got in our in our talent acquisition team? It's, it's headed up by... In fact, I probably shouldn't say her name because everyone's going to try and tap her up after this. But Hannah Lunn, who heads up our pioneer program talent acquisition, is phenomenal. And there's a chap called Mike Hansen who does our more senior stuff, but also account managers as well. They're headhunters. And I think that's a really lost art. I'm a headhunter. I started my whole life off. I was um, I was at firm, I was at Michael Page for a while you know, in their financial services area. And headhunting is all you do. Like, you know, back in the day, it was different then. You, you know, it wasn't portal-based or it was just, you know, going in and going right to the source of the of the, of the need, which was the people. And our transition team, it's, they just do the lost art of headhunting. <laughs> and, and I'm really strict with it. What is that? Just help me, mate, because I've not been. What is that lost art? How does that, like, I hear the term headhunting, but what does that actually mean Like when they do it? What does that look like? Well, uh, you know, ha- people are so passive at the moment. And, and you know, people stick jobs out on LinkedIn and eFinancial and all these sort of boards. And what you're getting there is you're getting people that are, are good, don't get me wrong, but they're normally in a situation where they're, you know, they, they might have lost their job in COVID. They might be looking for a bump in pay and just using it as a sort of, you know, counter offer. When you go and you become a proper headhunter, you eliminate all of those other challenges and you basically just approach people that are absolutely on point for what you're looking for firstly, so that then alleviates the square peg round hole. And you find people that normally you're one of one that they're talking to and you just have more control, you know, and we're not a control business. But, you know, when you speak to people, I don't think people headhunt anymore. You know, I don't think people call people up and say, I've got a role. Are you interested? A lot of people are really interested in the Albany Bet journey and they want to be part of it. You know, we're as cliched as it is, you know, we're a 16 year old startup. So, you know, and people want to get be involved in that journey. But ultimately, you know, we aren't, you know, we've got a phenomenal marketing team, but, you know, we're not out there. You know, we, we aren't the big four. So people don't really know about us. So the only way to do that is for the TA team to get under the skin, you know, and, and, and approach people directly. Otherwise, you're looking for passive consultants, which is not the end of the world. But but if you're if they're on e-financial, they are talking to all of the big four. They're talking to all of the recruitment businesses. 
and they're talking to it you know they, they're out there in the open market and then suddenly you're in this whole you know tug of war over money and stuff we much rather go back to when i set the business up in 2005 and deal with the human capital element to be that find the right people and put them in and you know we'll bring them onto the bench we have you know we don't have a problem with that you know with a, with a big deployment we did in dublin we brought them all in and we we gave them all a cams first it was a big kyc program we gave them a cams first we they got qualified with a cam and then we had loads of classroom based learning before they even stepped foot into the organization but yeah the ta team just they're old school they just take it back to the old school they will find you and they will headhunt you and before you know it you've really um bought into what they're what they're talking to you about and you think to yourself you don't forget right we don't do we don't really hire consultancy side people we hire smes from banking and this is an interesting opportunity for those people that want to go into an organization with an Albany bet behind them, do a really good job, and maybe go on to another organisation, or maybe stay put. You know, it's it's unique. It's not just unique to the client; it's unique to the candidate as well. So, so normally, Hannah and the team, their hit rates are phenomenal because I, I just think we're offering something a little bit different at the moment. Uh, it, it's a really interesting perspective, and again, having you know, ha- having come from that world, it's something you know you you know and, and see works. And I think actually, what you were saying there about you know, I'm taking notes from my own business here, James. You know, actually, if it's on a job board you know, you're one of many. And I mean, I actually see that day in, day out. I have on our jobs, I ask every candidate to just put our business name at the bottom of the CV. And I get probably one in 10 who do it. It still baffles me. You know, I just, it shocks me. But to your point, actually, if you're just one of a, you know, someone's trying to fire off 10 applications at lunch, that that's what, what you become. And I think it's really interesting that point around, well, for consultancies like yourselves who aren't the big four, and there's a lot of, you know, listeners to this show who they may have different models to you, but they aren't the big four. Actually, that personal approach is really key and you can have that one-on-one conversation and then you're dealing with an individual in a relationship and you're having a, it's a market of one, which is always going to be better for both sides than if, like you say, they've got 10 offers, you've got hundreds of people to sift through. I don't think I'm going to get any more of your secrets on it, so I'm not going to to delve into it anymore. And I I actually think, mate, I'd, I'd be keen almost to turn a little bit to to you and sort of just some of the personal side, I know we've talked about in passing before, and you know, you touched on the sort of actually the the change to your business. And I'd love to, particularly for anyone who's who's coming on that journey, because you've obviously been running your own business now for for sixteen years. This is second nature to you, but there's a lot of people who that is a is a change. And I know for yourself, there was quite an inflection point where you know you'd sold the sort of the lion's share of Albany Beck version one. You were deciding about whether to to take on this next chapter, which is lots of work, risk, etc. And I just love to understand a bit more about that decision process. You know how how you decided it was right, and and particularly, you know, the conversations you had with your you know your wife around: is this the right thing for us as a couple? Is this for Albany Beck two point zero or Albany Beck one point zero at the very start? Ah. I, I was going 2.0, mate, but tell me 1.0. Why don't you start with 1.0 and tell me how 2.0 was different? Well, you know, 1.0 was, there was probably very little thought into it. You know, uh, <laughs> you know you're, you're 26 years of age or whatever you are. And, 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 you know, you can live off beans on toast. It's not a problem. You know, you've got no, got had no children at the point. So, you know, you're, you're so confident at 26, <laughs> you know, you, you don't really give it a huge amount of thought. I mean, there was rationale. We sold equity in the business to a firm in, in New York. So we weren't completely finger in the air, hence the, the Albany bit. Um, but, you know, it's, um, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't know that. I'm going to have to ask, where does the Beck bit come from? Then is that <laughs> we celebrating on a, with a few pies of Beck? <laughs> Worst bit is right. I can't tell if you're joking or not. Uh, I'll leave that one out in the ether to work that out. I mean, at, the, at the time, you know, this is sort of uh, 2005, right? And the the internet was there, obviously, but it wasn't as big as it is now. And we had a bit of a running joke that the yellow pages, you still use the yellow pages, right? And ABC was always going to feature high in the yellow pages. But also, it's an old running joke with Glen Gary, Glen Ross, with ABC, right? Always be closing. So, yeah, ABC works. Let's just leave it like that. ABC works. <laughs> I love that. So, sorry, I derailed you. You so, so... very much lived in Albany. So, you, you, we gave it some some thought, but we basically just, I, you know, I definitely feel like an entrepreneur in that I'm all about trying to sort of do wealth creation. And, and that can't, you know, the budget's tomorrow, really timely. I mean, I'm worried that, that Rishi Sunak is going to, you know, rip that entrepreneurial spirit out of this country by hiking up capital gains in, in line with, with income tax. And I just think that would be, I think that would be a shame because entrepreneurs who who create wealth, and I, and I don't mean, you know, the Richard Bransons of the world. I'm talking about just people that create businesses that hire up to 500 people. They are, like, they're worth their weight in gold. And, you know, you mem- I'm members of various sort of lunch circles and stuff with various entrepreneurs. And we all have this sort of main theme, really, in our personas and our personalities. And, and you know, I remember when Sophie, my wife, who I can hear has just started bath time, um, <laughs> with the very first sort of few months, you know, she was like, is this, this is a Volby Bet 2.0. You know, I could have, I could have taken some time out after selling Volby Bet 1.0. And she was like, you know, how sure are you about this? You know, and and I can come on to this in a bit, but she she gave up her career at at um, the Royal Bank of Canada. She had a really senior job in HR there, and she gave it up for me to concentrate on Albany Beck 2.0, which I'm so eternally grateful for, and, and to bring up our three children. And when she said to me, you know, how do you know this is gonna this is gonna work? And I'm like, why would it not work? You know, and it's that sort of unflinching belief that you that you are going to get there, that you're going to sort of achieve a really a really great business, and it's so much more rewarding than just sort of plugging into a large corporation to know that you know you and your team have, have created this wealth, this this whole new revenue stream. We've employed these people that 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 you know I'm not arrogant enough to think they wouldn't have got because they would have got jobs every anywhere else, but. You know, I just think this country would is a better place for people that are creating businesses that invest in people. You know, I'm really proud of our diversity stats. You know, I'm, I'm proud of all of that. You mentioned about, you know, the conversation that you, you and your wife had and you decided together that she was going to sort of pause her career to look after the family and, and you know, you would build Albany Beck. And I just, I think that's a really bold decision. And there'll be plenty of people listening who having to make similar judgments, you know, and I'm, I'm sure you have this, I know I do, is people talk to me about wanting to start their business or, you know, wanting to do something different. And there's always a reason not to, you know, I, I'm too, you know, I've kids in private school, big mortgage, whatever it, it is. And I just, I'd love to understand, you know, the conversations that the two of you had and, and how you came to that being the right decision, really for anyone else who's in this same position, they've got a family, they've got kids, and they're, they're thinking of doing something bold, like starting a business, you know, like like you did. Yeah, God, it, you know, it is not an easy conversation to have uh, by any stretch. I mean, it was it came twofold, really. One, that I wanted to, you know, really get Albany Bet 2.0 on firing on all cylinders. And another that, you know, we have three children under the age of 10. 
that, you know, thank goodness we made that decision pre-lockdown because without it, it you know, I don't know what we've done. And my, I so feel for everyone who, you know, two parents that are working and juggling homeschooling. Yeah, absolute nightmare. I mean, I, I've got to be careful she doesn't overhear this. You know, I have joked about, you know, how I sort of have complete sympathy for Jeff Bezos' wife, you know, who got, I don't know how much it was, 50 billion or something. Because, you know, I, I created this company, but I created it with Sophie as well. You know, I'm very bad at coming back and talking about the good days. And she constantly reminds me of that. But I'll be very happy to walk through the door. You know, that book about exercising your chimp. Yeah. You know, and I'll be happy to walk through the door and be, ah, oh, today this bank did this. And, then, and, then. and so you make these decisions as a leadership team, as a management board, but you also make them at home, you know, with your with your other half. And so when you read about Bezos's wife um, getting 50 billion, good honor, you know, because I guarantee you there was times that he wanted to throw the towel in. There's times that, you know, he was probably, you know, without getting too deep, you know, sat on the sofa sort of crying because he can't meet, you know, his weekly payroll. And she would have empowered him at some point or many points during that to say, come on, keep going, you can do it. And so it's one of those funny things, isn't it? When you look at it and you think, all fat, I know she's the richest woman in the world now, but all power to her because, you know, without Sophie doing what she did and making the ultimate sacrifice uh, of her career, where right now she'd be absolutely flying. And maybe this is a problem with diversity and maybe this is a, a conversation for a wholly different day. And maybe it's a shame that naturally the woman sometimes feels the need to do that. And I'm not going to go down that uh, conversation strand because that's a big conversation. But, you know, she enabled me to be able to devote all my time and attention into to making this work. And I'm giving you the headline act as to, you know, what we've got. But it has been absolute blood sweat and tears you know it's been weekends it's been midnight finishes you know it's when you are when you are going up against those amazing machines that are the big four and they have 20 people in bids and tenders and you have one you know and you know you they have marketing functions that are phenomenal and you know so so do you james that's uh (laughs) that's not a problem we know that but exactly and you know firsthand when it's like hey, listen, can I get this pitch deck ready for one o'clock today? You know, we probably do have imposter syndrome a little bit at Albany Beck. And I think that's quite healthy. You know, I attended a Jim Collins, I don't know if you know Jim Collins, Mm. attended a Jim Collins um, thing with my chairman last week. And, you know, he talked about sort of positive paranoia. And I think that's really good. You know, positive paranoia, you know, what's good. I mean, it kills you because your blood pressure is constantly off the scale. But, you know, you're constantly thinking what's going to go wrong. You know, what's going to have we got too many consultants in one organization? You know, what's the risk involved in that? What else? You know, we're going to have a key person resign. And so what it does is it just keeps you on your toes. But it means that you're never really surprised, you know, And, and, and when it doesn't happen, excellent. When it does, you're prepared for it. I've gone away from talking about my wife and my suddenly, but um, you know, she, I think she's outside the door, so I don't want her ego to get too <laughs> big. But no, it, it, down to the success of AB has definitely been down to the, to that decision that we made, and 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 my management team that you know, Phil, Adam, their wives have made similar sacrifices. You know, it it you know it requires a tremendous amount of sacrifice, whether it be on a personal level or on a partnership level, to to get business off the ground. Uh, you know. Anyone out there that's thinking of starting their own business, they definitely should, 100%, but they've got to be prepared to be a monomaniac. They've got to be prepared to commit 110% to the cause, 
you know, put their blinkers on, don't look left, don't look right, just look at the end goal and make sure you get to that. Because you have a, you know, definitely those days that I wanted to probably give it up was the days that, you know, Sophie was like, hello, you know, career, you know, on hold, hello. And it, you know, it gives you that second win. So no, it's, um, she's, she's phenomenal. Uh, I think, yeah, some really good, yeah, it's great, James, to get the sort of candid take on all of it, because I think particularly right now, you know, entrepreneurship is is cool. You know, everyone's on Instagram wanting to be entrepreneurs. And actually, I think, like you say, some of that hard work, but most importantly, the impact it has on your family. You know, I, I know the same, you know, I couldn't do this without my wife. And if you're in a relationship, it's a two person sport. You know, it's not that you do, you know, you, you don't leave it at the office, as it were. And that's both physically, you know, you're working weekends and, you know, late, etc. But metaphorically, like you say, in terms of, you know, how you're feeling, you're preoccupied. And I think, you know, your point on Jeff Bezos's wife is is really key. You know, it's it wouldn't be there without her. You just don't see, you know, that. And, and I think, you know, actually wrongly, you don't, you rarely hear about the the wife of the entrepreneur, the home life. I think that's changing a little bit now that sort of Instagram and things have meant you see more of people's personal lives, but actually you don't see all those, you know, those challenges. And it is really a two-person sport. So I think, you know, really, really powerful point. And, you know, I think your advice for people who are thinking of doing it, you know, is really, really good as well. Like you say that you've got to be focused on it because you otherwise it's never going to get to where you want. And I, I guess last, the last question, I probably should have started with this one on this topic, but I think we've touched on it loosely, James. I kind of, it kind of might summarize the the whole whole conversation before we go to sort of the final questions. I just there will be someone listening thinking, James, you built a great recruitment business. You obviously sold that and, you know, we're not going to go into the figures, but why do it again? You know, why not either sail off to the sunset or frankly go get a really easy job somewhere else where you're working 9 to 5 or a bit less, you're on the golf course. What was it that made you go again? Why did you decide, you know what? I've got this idea, Albany Beck 2.0, everything you've described, I've got to go for it. My chairman is a, is a chap called Gary Ashworth, who has, you know, I'm sure I hope he doesn't mind me saying he's 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 done well. And, you know, he he sort of shares the same sort of, I, I just don't imagine him ever retiring, irrespective of what you have in terms of physical things, because it's not really about what you have physically and, you know, you know, what you own or what house you've got or what car you've got. It's about... Like, I don't know, I, I need to not let this sound as soppy as it's going to sound, but it's about creating something, you know, and, I, and I'm not saying that I'm going to create something for my children to inherit, you know, unfortunately, Albany Beck and sons or Albany Beck and daughters, it, it doesn't really, that's not really life anymore. But it's about just being able to stop, take stock, look back and go, yeah, I did that. I did that, you know. Me and my management team did that. We created this business from scratch with nothing else. And now it, it's got consultants. It's got young people that are, you know, going to be future MDs of, of organizations. And we did that. And that, unfortunately, is, you know, why I'm going to keep doing it. Because, I've, you know, it's that I just don't think. I'll ever get to the point where, and Sophie will hate me saying this, because I think, you know, she would like to see me take my foot off the gas a little bit. I just don't think that will ever happen. I think we're, I think the natural sort of caricature of an entrepreneur is they're just never really settled. They're constantly looking for stuff. You know, they're constantly evolving. You know, I I, I just think that they, they, they do something, they complete it, and then they're on to the next thing, and the next thing, and the next thing, and the next thing. Because... They sort of have a, an unwavering belief in themselves. I'm not saying I necessarily do, but normally they have an unwavering belief in themselves and they get an idea. You know, Phil, who I know you know, yeah. jokes to me about it because 
you know, I'll, I'll picture something and I'll be like, let's just go for it. And he he's a real sort of, you know, he needs to plot that course. You know, it's A to B to C to D. And I'm like, forget that, you know, if that's what it looks like, let's just go for it. And we might deviate, but let's get there. We'll, and we'll always get there in the end. And, and that's what really gets me out of bed in the morning. And, <laughs> and fear, fear gets you out of bed in the morning. You'll, you'll be experiencing it as well, mate. You know, you know, you own your own business. You know, it's not a particularly old business, but, you know, there is a fear factor. And, you know, the fear factor is you've got payroll to meet this month and you have to meet that payroll. You have a duty of care to your employees to pay them. And you have a duty of care to offer them a career advancement. You have a duty of care to grow your business and to show your wife that it was the right decision. And that fear, if you can use that in the right way, that's the best form of of motivation possible. You know, not fear of failure, because that's just a bit old hat, but it's that fear of of like not delivering on what you think you're going to deliver on and letting people down. And, and and you don't have that in your locker if you necessarily have gone down that traditional corporate route where, you know, you're going to go from AVP to VP to D to MD to XCO. Your pension pot is getting topped up by quarter of a million quid every year or whatever it might be. There is, By the way, there's different fears in that. I'm not saying that one is a better course than the other. But you're not normally ever worried about if it's a bad year, have you got enough money to to pay your employees or feed the family? It's a different sort of fear. And I think some people are more that way and some people are more this way. And you've gone from, and it's not about you, but you've gone from one course to the other. And, you know, if we had more time, I'd ask you how you're finding that. But it's a whole different... Uh, oh, well, maybe that's maybe that's around to, our, you know, we've talked about doing the Albany Rec podcast, James. So maybe that's the, uh, I'll, I'll come on your show. And and I mean, I, I, I've i talked about it a little little before and it's not, you know, I don't want to steal from, from your interview, but it is interesting. You know, you've, you've had this life from day dot. Actually, I was never the kid selling sweets in the playground. I was always very jealous someone else thought of it because they made, you know, 20p premium which when you're 12 is a lot of money but um i think you're spot on around actually those those drivers night it's interesting hearing the passion in your voice because like you say you know you've you've created something and actually it's that drive to create you know it's not and for anyone listening who's thinking of this route it's not a job where you're just doing long hours you know you are creating a thing and i I love what you're saying as well around that you know that that helping the team come through because for me that's something i love as well you know watching your team develop, watching, you know, the business develop, and also just seeing, you know, where your clients go. I used to, it's funny, I used to think this was really cheesy and just something that the people at the top had to say, but actually now I'm seeing it with my own team and you you were saying it with yours, like that. that's the that's the exciting thing. You know, the, the sort of financial side obviously has a place, but it's seeing all of those things come together that's amazing. And and so, no, I, I won't steal the limelight, James, but we can, maybe over that beer we keep talking about when lockdown ends with two months away, mate, we'll... Uh, bring it on we'll finally be there that whole wealth piece comes as a byproduct of pulling off what your raison d'etre will be and the wealth will come uh, a secondary to that and don't get me wrong you know i, I don't own a, ch- a registered charity you know we we are in this business to um, for lots of reasons and money is one of them i mean anyone that tells you different is, is unfortunately is that's a, that's a bit of a falsity but um you know if you do it right then as a byproduct the the money usually follows and so we are almost at the end of today. And you mentioned bath time, and I don't want to keep you too much past bath time and, and no, bedtime. No, 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 feel free. Feel free. Well, we've 
I've made a commitment to my wife as well that we don't have kids yet, but I need to get to dinner at some point. You have yeah. a puppy. That's we, we do. We do. She's been brilliant. She's sadly, right, they grow up quickly. You know, again, I know I, I know parents hate people comparing kids to dogs, but we've got a dog. And so that's all I compare to. They grow bloody quickly. You know, she's six months old now. She's a dog. She's not a puppy. But we need to see her as well. So the last questions, and these are ones that I ask every guest. And I know as you've listened to a few of these episodes, you'll you probably know what's coming. And well, there's two questions and a, a sort of last one just for anyone who wants to reach you. But for that f- first of the questions, it's about books. So you mentioned Jim Collins, and I've not been to a seminar, I've read his books, and it was really powerful for me. And I'd just love to hear from you if there is a book or books, you know, that you found had a really big impact on your journey, or you find yourself giving to the, you know, Albany Beck team or your, you know, your management team or, you know, clients sort of, you know, consistently. Is there any book that, that stands out like that for you? Yeah, I, I don't really do the sort of self-help book I, I should do <laughs> evidently i should do more of i think the the book that probably had the most effect on me was the dr spence johnson book and you know who moved my cheese you know I, and and was probably 99 percent of people would say that but i think we haven't just I haven't just read it inhaled it i've actually done it you know because Obviously, the whole premise of that book is around doing the same thing. Can't remember. Phil uses it all the time. But I can't find what the quote is. You know, the madness is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting this, the you know different results. And and you know the pivot that AB two point naught made um, really epitomised that because we noticed the market changing. We noticed the movements in the market and and how the need for certain skill sets and requirements is 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 now going to be different to how it has been and it will still evolve you know if any listeners haven't read that you know read that book because it highlights in a very simplistic childlike fashion but also one of the best books on you know on economics that you can read but it just highlights the fact that you have to evolve if you look at all the greatest businesses in the world they all evolved in some capacity you know, Amazon's was selling books out of a garage, right? And and you know, if it, Apple, you know, was was big clunky computers, and then suddenly they're you know finding iPods and iWatches, and guarantee they'll be doing cars and TVs in the next few years. And you know, same with Amazon and and Alexa's of the world. It, it's all about that evolution and tapping into something new, but having that foresight to predict what's coming down the line. And and, and also another book that. And this is, again, a bit cliche, but I was living in America, 98, 99, just sort of at university, you know, took some time off. And I read um, Losing My Virginity by Richard Branson. And at the time, he was like your young entrepreneur's pinup. He was like, you know, he owned an airline and he owned record labels, bars. I mean, that guy was an absolute hero. Losing My Virginity was a really good book for me because it just sort of showed, you know, he left school at 16, he, he was dyslexic and, and, and you know, he, he just went for it. And yeah, you know, there's bits of gap. He's 21 and suddenly he buys Mike Oldfield a Bentley and, you know, there's some little gaps in it where you think there's maybe a bit of family money in there. But ultimately, it just shows that bravado, backing yourself to the hill and just imagining it and you, and you, you one day can own an airline, my son. Uh, and an so- island, I yeah, and an island. Yeah, and Neck, he owns Necker, doesn't he? Although half it burnt down. But yeah, yeah, he's uh, he's an interesting guy. I'm not sure. I wouldn't want to get into the wranglings of tax exile and all that kind of uh, that kind of malarkey. But I think, in essence, in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, he he really was. And also, how good is it that he became his own brand? 
Virgin was just a brand that was uh, that was associated with him, where they sold failed Coca-Cola, or where they sold records, or airlines, or hotels, or gyms. He just had that brand, and he loved that his own marketing. And you, as a marketing guy, appreciate probably more than I do how that is just phenomenal, you know. And it could have gone either way. I mean, there's there's plenty of people out there that try and market themselves by using their own brand, and it's it's not so well received. Well, I, I think you know on, on Branson, like you say. I mean, it, I think it's comes back to what you started the show with he has been very good at identifying where there is a need and actually a lot of people like you say with their own brand at some point you know the fall is they get arrogant they think because i've you know because it's got my name on it people will buy it and you know actually with branson they had a bit of that with the virgin cola but he's successfully built that and you know that persona around finding things that aren't working and solving them you know it's who ate my cheese i i have read and it's also because this is an audio show and you've not got the book in front of you but it's actually only a tiny book it's sort of a you know you can read it on a train but that whole premise of going to the new market going to find the cheese not wait for the cheese to come back to you and for anyone listening who wanted the pricey that's the pricey of the book <laughs> you, you've just ripped off Johnson. There's a commission there by hundreds of thousands of pounds. People are just not even going to go and buy it now. Well, James, I'll be honest. I, I, there's many people who tell me this show is probably an hour and uh, however much longer than it should be. So I figure, you know, if someone's got to this, I'll give them the pricey. But if someone's got this far, they you'll usually lo- read the book. But, you're, you know, that, that book's really key. And I think you hear a lot of stats banded around, you know, kids today, their jobs aren't invented yet. We don't know what they'll be doing in 10 years' time. You know, all of this stuff. And actually... For anyone listening, whether, you know, we've talked a lot about entrepreneurship and whether you want to start a business, but whether you don't, you know, whether you just want to, you want to build a successful career in a consulting firm, it's the same principle. You know, you have to be going to where the market is. You know, Branson, as you said, he always found the next thing. He wasn't saying, you know, what's the thing that someone else has done 10 years ago? He said, where should we go next? And, you know, every time people thought he was a bit crazy, but that's the way that everything in the world moves forward. So I think some really good books and, and, Surprisingly, I think you're the only only the second guest to talk about who moved my cheese. You might really, yeah. It's a complete tangent, but at some point in the future, hopefully this year, I want to turn these interviews into a book, and I do want to um, actually have a list of all of the books that my guests have recommended because there's an amazing list. But yeah, I think you might be only the second one. So you know, surprised, but. Hey, it's a great book, and that's why I say I kind of I'm surprised more people haven't mentioned it. But there's one maybe I'll, I'll I might buy it for the team, give everyone a copy, and I'm not just saying that because it's a small book and therefore quite cheap as well. Just buy one and photocopy it. Well, I've given I've given the pricey now, James, so no one no one needs the book. Fine cheese, you know that that's the that's the summary. But um, bringing us back on on track, right? And the very last so last sort of question for today, and this is. I guess as much a chance to to summarize things as it is to sort of give you know new advice. And it, it's quite simply, you've got three people in front of you, you can give one piece of advice to each. And those three people are a graduate. So, you know, someone straight out of university, just starting that career in consulting. Your second person is someone who's sort of three, four years in. So, you know, actually you're sort of, I guess that mid pioneer level, you know, you mentioned they don't always come straight out of university. So that's sort of, they've done a job, they've seen a bit of the world, but they're still quite junior. And then the third person is someone who's approaching that director level. So approaching partner in a traditional consulting firm in a sort of investment bank, they might be approaching that sort of, is it sort of MD level? You know, it's it's that point where you've got to decide this is for me. Or, you know, they might be starting a business. It's I'm making a big life change at that senior level. And the question is quite simply, what one piece of advice would you give to each three of those people? Well, for the graduate, quite simply, say yes. Just say yes. Whatever's asked of you, just say yes, you know you are cutting your teeth in your career 
if you're asked to do what you foresee as not your long-term goal, just say yes, because there'll be someone who's saying it to you for a reason. And the beauty of consulting is it's so varied. And, you know, you can roll on from project to project. And if you're the person that says yes, you know, your stock goes up. I'm not saying be a general dog's body. I'm just saying try as much as you possibly can. Keep what works. With the mid-level, I would say, you know, when you've found something that genuinely spikes interest, not that you're a bit blasé about it, something that really interests you, a, a, a sector or a uh, skill set and something within that, you know, just pour accelerant on that and, and just become the inch-wide, mile-deep strategy in that. Because if you are interested in it, that is half the battle. And you will live, eat, and breathe that. And, and, and your career will develop because of the passion that you have in that area. So, you know, the old adage, if you fire bullets, and then when one lands, you fire cannonballs. It's a little bit like that with a graduate. But then when you're that sort of three to five year level, you will have established what works for you and bet heavily on that move. And then for the partners, it's a bit of advice that I take myself, you know, don't be complacent, keep learning, have your cup overflowing in terms of new things in the market, the amount of partners that I've interviewed that are that, you know, blockchain, that'll never catch on or something like that. You know, don't be that person, move the cheese, evolve, you know, learn more and more and more. Don't ever be complacent and think you're the finished article. We are, as I said earlier, the finished article. There's new things coming back all the time. And the best consultants that work for Albany Beck at the senior end are the people that have a genuine interest in new things coming out. You know, all things data, even if they don't work in data, they're craving to learn about Hadoop and all these different things. And they work in reg or they work in risk or finance, but they're just craving that more and more knowledge. So don't be complacent and, and keep learning, keep moving the cheese, keep evolving on a personal level. And if you want to start a business, Give it the taste test. Make sure it stands up. Make sure you're passionate about it and grab the nettle and go for it. James, I think that is a, a brilliant place for us to finish. So thank you very much for that. I think the go and find the cheese, go move the cheese is going to be the it's going to be the one that sticks. I'm going to go and actually dig it out. I don't know where it is. I'm sure it is in my sort of study downstairs. I'm going to go and find it after this. But thank you very much. You know, obviously we've got to know each other, you know, really well over the last few months. But it was great to actually spend some time digging into the story and you know sharing that with my listeners as well because there's people like yourselves, yourself and the Albany Beck team doing great things. That you know, our industry is so fragmented. I want to bring everyone together to learn from each other. So thank you for for sharing everything you have. And the last question then for anyone who's listening is just if they want to find out more about Albany Beck, either they want to potentially hire you as consultants or they want to find out about joining as a pioneer or practitioner, where would you point them to? Where can they get in touch? Yeah, brilliant. Well, thank you, Nick. I've, I've actually really enjoyed it. I was, didn't know how it would go. But you you sound like you were surprised when you would enjoy it, James. Well, I, I was just nervous you were going to bring up that bad management thing throughout the whole thing. So I'm glad you didn't. If you want to get in touch, obviously LinkedIn, uh, James Constable, or my email address, which I'm happy to disclose is jconstable at albanybeck.com, A-L-B-A-N-Y-B-E-C-K.com. You can reach us that way, or you can, you know, go onto our LinkedIn company page and find any of my staff. Leave them alone, but you can find any of my staff, or you can find me. But yeah, I always love to to hear from people, whether it be just, you know, talking about the market or whether it's potential 
customers it's it's all good it's all good to brain dump and shoot the breeze fantastic james well thank you for that i'll put um your email albany beck's website the linkedin all in the show notes as well so anyone can who can who wants to find out more can find out more and get in touch and yeah really enjoyed this i haven't brought up the band i still i'll ask you about that later because i do want to find out but We've got a round two somewhere, James, given everything we've talked about. So maybe that will we'll hold that back for round two. But um, no, I've really enjoyed this, James. So all that's left to say is thank you very much and all the best for the rest of your week. Brilliant. Thanks, Nick. All the best. Cheers, James. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Climbing Consulting. If you have any guest recommendations, comments, ideas, thoughts on how I can make this show better for you, just drop me an email. It's nick at createengage.co.uk. And I really look forward to hearing from you.